Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, it's Albert. We've got a dynamite show for you for this week to get you ready for Super Bowl 55. We've got takeaways. We've got a great guest in to break down the Brady-Mahomes matchup and what it means for the quarterback position. We've got fantasy, DFS, prop bets, picks with Michael Fabiano. And of course, we get to all of your questions in the six-pack. Let's go. All right, welcome in. It's a Super Bowl 55 edition of the Albert Breer Show. We got a great show coming for you this week. We got Fabs in. We're going to do picks with him. He's going to give you some fantasy nuggets, some DFS nuggets to get you ready for the big game. Our special guest is going to give us incredible insight on the two quarterbacks playing in this game and what makes them who they are, what ties the eras of football together that they've come from, and what it says about the quarterback position moving forward. We'll also get to your questions in the six-pack, but we're starting with the takeaways. And my first takeaway from the big news of the weekend, non-Super Bowl-related, the Los Angeles Rams trade two first-round picks, a third-round pick, and quarterback Jared Goff to the Detroit Lions for Matthew Stafford. And this is one of those where I think, at least on the surface, It looks like a win-win-win. The Lions have been very honest with themselves about where they are. I think that's a good thing. They're giving themselves draft capital to rebuild with. They moved um, the asset that Stafford was early. That allowed them to get ahead of what could be a flooded quarterback market. Um, You know, We can argue until we're blue in the face over whether or not they should have taken the Panthers' offer, which was really good, include the eighth overall pick, or Washington's offer, which is a one and a three. The bottom line is I think they got really, really good value for Matthew Stafford. It's going to allow them to rebuild the team going forward. And Dan Campbell gets what he wanted. What Dan Campbell told the front office people in Detroit, I want a quarterback that's more than a Band-Aid. I want a quarterback that I can compete with. So at the very least, I think he's got a capable bridge quarterback in Jared Goff who can get him to the next to, to the next uh, quarterback. And Jared Goff gets a chance to prove himself now. Instead of being in a place where maybe he would have had to fight for his job if he had gone back to L.A., I think that would have been the case. Um, you know, with John Wolford as the quarterback, uh, the other quarterback on the roster. Now, you know, he's going into a uh, into a situation where, for now, he's the starter, and he maybe has a year or two to prove himself and kind of reestablish who he is as a player and reestablish maybe that, 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 that he's more or establish that he's more than just a creation of Sean McVay's offense. For McVay, for Stafford, I think this is a great marriage. I I can tell you, I think McVay uh, believes that he's going to be able to unlock things within his offense in Stafford's game that we haven't seen from Stafford before. 
I think all the same, he believes that Stafford's going to be able to bring some things out in his offense that we haven't seen before. And so I think for a team that's right in the Super Bowl window um, and with a roster that's got the number one defense in the league, that's got blue chip players like Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald in the midst of their prime, this is the sort of all-in move where I think you can see, like, we feel like we're right on the cusp and we need a little extra to get over the hump. And we talked about that Mahomes effect last week. This is, I think, kind of addressing that. Like, we need to get past Aaron Rodgers. We need to get past Tom Brady. We need to get past Patrick Mahomes to get to a championship. How do we do it? I think Matthew Stafford is a good enough quarterback to get you there. And I know some of the people in the general public don't think as highly of him. I think the NFL let us know loud and clear the way it feels about Patrick Mahomes with the way that 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 the, the, the last week, week and a half went and the pursuit of Matthew Stafford, I think we all got a really good look inside the NFL. Like, this is what the NFL thinks of the player, what Washington was willing to give up, what Carolina was willing to give up, what Denver was willing to give up. There were multiple teams that had first-round picks on the table or the equivalent of first-round picks. There were teams with sitting quarterbacks that were willing to take a look at him. Um, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to watch this one going forward. Now, there is sort of a twist to it here. Brad Holmes came from Los Angeles. He's the Lions' new general manager. So he's betting on Jared Goff right now, at least in the short term, and he's taking on his contract, right? And Jared Goff, in all likelihood, we'll see what they do in the draft, is their day one starter. Um, So he has insight on Jared Goff. He traded for Jared Goff. He also has insight on the Rams. So where does he believe those picks are going to be? He was willing to take future first-rounders, doesn't know where they're going to be. Does he believe... The Rams are going to be a Super Bowl team, which make the pick put the pick in the 30s, or a little less than that. We'll see the way it plays out. And the great thing is, we get to all we get to watch all of that in, in real time. Matthew Stafford has the ability to make the picks that are going back to Detroit to his former team for him worse. If he keeps if he plays as well as Sean McVay, Les Snead, all those guys think he is. Well, then he's going to devalue the picks he's sending to Detroit. So it's going to be kind of like a a living document those trade terms over the next two years takeaway number two i think we're a long way from getting any sort of resolution on deshaun watson and i've been asked a lot what i think is going to happen i don't know i i just think it is it's too unpredictable at this point there's too many unknowns i do not know the way the deshaun watson situation is going to go and i think anybody who tells you they do know outside of the principles involved i think it's full of it um there's two unalienable fact, unalienable facts. I don't even know if that's the right word that we can kind of put there. And this is why no one can have the answer. A, the Texans aren't returning to Sean Watson's calls. B, the Texans aren't entertaining any sort of trade offer. So any inquiry that's coming in on Deshaun Watson, they are completely shutting down. So if Deshaun Watson isn't talking to the Texans, and if the Texans aren't talking to other teams, right now, something needs to break that stalemate. What's it going to be? Well, at some point, there's going to have to be a conversation between Texans ownership and Deshaun Watson, between Jack Easterby potentially and Deshaun Watson. I don't think Nick Casario and David Culley are the problem here, but I think they'd like to hold on to Deshaun Watson. The problems are above those guys. And so how do you fix it? Well, I think it's going to be tough. You know, Deshaun Watson felt like he was misled in the DeAndre Hopkins situation. Not even misled, just kind of kept in the dark on the DeAndre Hopkins situation in March of 2020. The Texans 
apologized to him for it, said that they could have handled that better. And then they turn around and the same thing happens again um, with the GM search where Deshaun, and again, this isn't about Deshaun Watson wanting to be, you know, in a position to pick his GM, pick his coach. But if you tell the guy that you're going to have input and you consult the guy through most of the process and then you turn around and it's basically Lucy taking the football away from Charlie Brown at the very end where, oh yeah, we said we were going to go non-patriot. We said that we were going to keep you apprised of the situation. And oh, boom, here on social media, you're going to learn that Nick Casario is the new GM. You're going to feel like Jack Easterby pulled another fast one on you, just like in the De- 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 DeAndre Hopkins situation. You're going to feel like Cal McNair pulled another fast one on you, just like in the DeAndre Hopkins situation. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. It's not going to – like I, I, I do not think that – it, it, like it, I do not think that there's any argument that Deshaun Watson should have a problem with the way that things were handled here. And now it's on the Texans to see if they can find a way to fix it. Again, I think without the Texans talking to Watson, having the ability to talk to Watson, and without the Texans entertaining trade offers, you know, we're sort of going to be where we are for a while, and I think it's going to be a while before the situation resolves itself. Takeaway number three, the quarterback market, I think, is going to move based on quarterbacks who are on uh, who are right now who are on rosters and you know you've got a few guys where I think you can see them move and without teams deciding that they want to wriggle free of the contracts those guys are under or they just want to move on from those guys period I'm not sure where the quarterback movement is going to come from and so how do you get there I think the draft becomes key to the quarterback market now. Who falls in love with Zach Wilson? Who falls in love with Justin Fields? Who thinks Trey Lance may be better than the guy that they have on their roster? And what's tricky about this now, looking forward, is the draft's not till the end of April. Free agency starts in the middle of March. So if you're one of these teams, how do you plan going forward at quarterback knowing you won't know the results of the draft and you won't know how the draft's going to shake out in front of you until we get to the end of April. And the answer is that so much of this is going to hinge on what happens at number two and what happens at number three. Are the Jets committed to Sam Darnold? Are the Dolphins committed to Tua Tungabaloa? And if they aren't, then do they put Sam Darnold, do they put Tua Tungabaloa on the market before the start of free agency in the middle of March? Attached to that, if they do, if 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 they decide they're going forward with Tungavaloa and Darnold, do they put the picks on the market before the middle of March? That to me is what's going to move the quarterback market. If it's a San Francisco or a Vegas or a Minnesota or whoever it is, if somebody's coming up wanting to get one of these quarterbacks, that's what's. I think that's what starts to move the quarterback market. So, you know, Kirk Cousins in Minnesota, Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. You know, Derek Carr in Vegas. Like, do I think it's possible these guys get moved? Yes. What's going to sort of move the needle here? I think it's going to have to be the draft. And I think what happens there at two and three, and I know it's a long-winded point, but I know it, I think the, the, the picks at two and three are going to kind of dictate where all this goes and how the veteran quarterback market winds up moving from here. Takeaway number four, I'm going to give you guys a key to this Super Bowl that I don't think a lot of people are talking about that I think is really interesting, and that is 
The Buccaneer linebackers, I think, are going to be a key to this game. And it's something a couple scouts brought up to me a couple weeks ago. So if you're looking for inside the game stuff in Super Bowl 55, two names to keep an eye on. Levante David, Devin White. Athletic 21st century linebackers who can move around and who can who are instinctive enough to control Patrick Mahomes when he leaves the pocket. And so, you know, one of the things about Mahomes is you want to keep him in the pocket and he's most dangerous when he gets out into these scramble situations. Well, how do you control the scramble situations? Not many teams anymore have the source of players at the second level that can do that, that can be the spy, that can kind of be the guy who's assigned to a player like Patrick Mahomes. The Buccaneers do. And so I think a huge key to this game, if the Buccaneers are going to win, is Devin White and Levante David. So if you ask me, like outside of the quarterbacks, who would be in the MVP conversation, like those two might be three and four for me. Uh, Again, because if the game goes in an unexpected way, I do think that there's a good chance that those guys are key to it. And finally, takeaway number five, this is a really, really good quarterback Super Bowl, and I just hope everybody gets a chance to appreciate it. And that's one of the reasons we're having the guest on that we're having on, um, because I think he'll help us appreciate the matchup that we're getting with Mahomes and and Tom Brady. And is it the best Super Bowl matchup of quarterbacks ever? I don't know. I mean, I think you can look at John Elway, Joe Montana. I know that game wasn't good, but going into it, Super Bowl twenty four. That's my childhood. I think that was right around my 10th birthday in January of 1980. That was a great one. Um, how about, you know, you look at you, you look at them in the, in the early 90s, some of the ones we got with Jim Kelly, right? So you had Jim Kelly versus Troy Aikman. That was a great one. Um, you know, more recently, I think looking at like, a, you know, a Tom Brady, um, you know, Tom Brady versus Donovan McNabb at the time was considered a really good one. I think Brady Roger, Brady Mahomes is a little bit better than that one. But, uh, you know, Breeze and Peyton Manning in 2010 in Super Bowl uh, 44. So we've had a lot of great quarterback matchups, but this one's right up there. And I just hope everybody gets a chance to appreciate what we're seeing. Two quarterbacks that are literally of different generations going head-to-head, the greatest of all time trying to run up the score further on everybody else. And then maybe the one guy at 25 years old who has a chance to eventually catch him. Got a long, long way to go, but actually has a chance to catch him. Should be fascinating to watch. We're all looking forward to it. And to dive a little deeper into this matchup and what it means for the quarterback position in particular, we're going to get to our special guest right after this. All right, to celebrate Super Bowl week, we're going to bring back a guest who I think can kind of shed some light on what it's like to be in this spot as a quarterback because he's been in this spot as a quarterback. Um, And we're bringing him in because I think he's going to be able to give us some unique insight on sort of what the matchup tells us about the position in general. And he is the head coach at Limpscomb. I hope I pronounced that right, Trent, Academy um, in Tennessee. Close enough. Close enough. (laughs) And the the head coach of Elite 11, Trent Dilfer. So it's Limpscomb. Is that right? Lip, yeah, L-I-P-S-C-O-M-B, Lipscomb Academy in Nashville. There, okay, great, great, fantastic. All right, well, let's just start here then. Um, You know, I want to ask you about your own experience and what this is like for a quarterback, you know, and we're going to get into the Brady Mahomes thing, but, you know, what exactly is running through a quarterback's head now with, what is it, six days, five days left until Super Bowl Sunday? 
I think this year's a little different um, with not having to go down to the host city, um, manage your life, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, that's what it becomes is managing your decisions, man- managing your capacity, managing your emotional energy, because the quarterback, and I'm probably the least of this, but I still had a million demands on my time, endorsement opportunities, partners you have, bows right gatorade whatever is they're having their all their corporate people in and they're going to ask you for some time you got family that wants tickets you got more media requests you know what to do with even though you've cranked out media day you got buddies like albert breer and mike silver (laughs) and you know peter king your boys that you've been with forever are asking you hey just give me 15 minutes or jump on my pod or you know all that stuff so I think they don't have any of that. Mm-hmm. So I think what that's what has supplanted that anxiety is this whole testing paranoia anxiety. So maybe it's maybe it's equal. It's but different. Yeah, it's different. You pop a test and then it's like you can't play. <laughs> so exactly, like, yeah. but you can control. You can stay home in your own apartment, right? right. You're yeah. you're the seventh offensive lineman for the Chiefs. You're not going to the steak dinner on Thursday night. You're going to sit down on your couch and watch a rerun of NCIS. Right. Like that's just your that's your week this week yeah. instead of having 19 different things you can go to each night. So, so I think that's important to understand for the quarterback. Right. <clears throat> to answer your question more specifically now is it's Tuesday, it's the normal off day. Um you probably have a pretty good understanding of the plan. But the mm-hmm. coaches now are detailing out the special stuff, the stuff that's going to win the game, the third down protection wrinkles, the red zone stuff, your two-minute plan, your specials, and you're really diving deep into the X's and O's. Your body's ready. Your mind's fresh. Now it's like tactically, what are we going to do that's going to be the secret sauce to help us win this game? And like I would think like too, like when you get to game day, you're probably like maybe more prepared – than you than you've ever been for in your career for anything because it's a singular opponent you have two weeks like it's there's no focus anywhere else right like so I would think that maybe that was as prepared as you've ever been for an opponent when you were playing the Giants in uh in February in what was it been January of two thousand one yeah, too prepared I can think of two plays in the first quarter we had Stokely on an over concept they hadn't shown since week eight or nine uh, the way they were going to rotate down to Brand uh, to Shannon and Ben Coates was going to create kind of this free alley running from right to left. It was so open that I kind of had the anxiety of like, you know, you, you can't miss the layup when you're running down the court and there's nobody on you. You're just, it's easy. And I missed it. I threw a little bit behind them. And then we also schemed up a little swing pass to Jamal uh, Lewis early in the game. And I should have just kept my eyes in the middle of the field, let it unfold like I did every day in practice. But I saw the look, I'm like, Oh, we got this. And I look out to the, the wide route, the swing route too soon. He's not looking, so I get tentative and kind of throw it at his feet. So there's the danger of being overprepared and playing the game before the ball's snapped. Right, right. And like game day, I'd assume it probably helps both these guys. We'll get into these guys now too. Like your first time on that stage and maybe there's just some emotion that doesn't exist for any other game that kind of comes, you know, like I – it's sort of like what you dream in the backyard and now it's here, right? Like, so I would think for both, for both Tom and and Patrick, I would think like at least part of it, like you look at it and it's like, all right, like at least I know what to expect now, what it's going to be like walking out of that tunnel. 
No doubt. One guy won it last year and one guy's won 37 of them. It seems like so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, yeah, I don't think that's going to play into it. I think they also both will handle, they're both very routine oriented, mm-hmm. but I, now they know their routines before the game. Most of us have to call the guy that we know that played in it the year before or whatever, like, Hey, what do I expect? How do I handle my routines? What do I do? Like I called Steve young. I mm. uh, wanted to know from him how he handled it. Drew Brees called me. Brad yeah. Johnson called me. You know, h- how do I, what's the timing when I go out to pregame? How long am I going to get? I hear this national anthem takes, you know, two hours. What's it <laughs> like to go back in the wake into the locker room? So, but these guys, it's all hat at this point. They're not going to worry about that. Okay. So let's dive into these two then. And I'll give you an interesting fact here. When Patrick Mahomes was born, Tom Brady was in his first semester at Michigan, <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy. You can look it up. September 17th, 1995. That would have been Tom Brady's first semester at Michigan. He was being redshirted that fall. Um, when you look at the quarterback matchup to begin with, and you look at the different styles they play, and you look at almost how like they're from different generations, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Uh, how how unique this position is. I'll look at from 30,000 feet, Mm -hmm. how there's so many ways of being successful playing this position. And then I'll drill down to one foot off the ground. And yet they're so similar in their approach. Okay. So they look like totally two different athletes. They're, they're two polar opposite of how to play the position. One is almost robotic. Um, as precise as you can be limited with how he moves um, really doesn't change his platform very often is dependent upon good pass protection um, works the field, what we call up from short to deep. He's done a whole career of that. That's Brady. The other guy is magical. He's Brett Favre 2.0. He plays the game artistically. He throws it from multiple platforms, multiple arm angles. He's not as dependent on um, the offensive line and their success. He's going to always have an assassin's mindset looking deep to short. Um, I can go on and on and on. So they look totally different, but yet you drill deep in their approach. They both have meticulous study habits. They love football more than what football brings them. I think that's a huge thing for your audience to understand. Mm-hmm. Both these guys have the world at their fingertips. They can do literally anything they want in life. You give most men 25 or 43 those options, and they're going to self-destruct, right? Yeah. These two say no to the pleasures of the world, everything that's at their fingertips, to say yes to boring, monotonous, grinding stuff to help Mm -hmm. them get better at at their craft and that's really important they both take a huge amount of pride in what they understand going into a game the mastery of their offense and the mastery of the defense they're playing against patrick mentioned his in his press conference yesterday i'm really good pre-snap but i want to be as good as the master and the master's tom um they're both incredible leaders but they lead very differently Mm um i can go on and on but like there's so much of their DNA that's the same, but it it represents itself, it expresses itself differently in how they play. So do you think like 
Is it too simplistic to look at the two of them and say, and we'll talk about the similarities in a second, but is it too simplistic to say Tom Brady is where the position's been, Patrick Mahomes is where the position is going? No, I don't. I, and, I, and I don't get offended by that version of it. And I see him when they're, what, 17 years old. Yeah. Um, there's no doubt that Patrick Mahomes is where the position is trending. Um, mm-hmm. The biggest, baddest, most athletic dude ends up playing quarterback now, right? Mm-hmm. When it used to be the coach's son. Right. <laughs> right. Or the, or the kids, the travel baseball parents' son. Yeah. Had it could go get him some quarterback stuff. The catcher on the they, baseball team, yeah, the point exactly. guard on the basketball team, the three sport it, athlete. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now it's the dude they see it eight in eighth grade, and we see it here in Tennessee. Oh my gosh, that kid is just an amazing competitor, athlete, and he can throw a little bit. Let's make him the quarterback and teach him how to mm-hmm. throw great. Um, so yes, it's going that way. But I don't want to discount the kid that's going to never run better than five two in the forty. That six three and a little lanky, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> that hasn't organized his body altogether, but he can throw a football wherever he's looking, and he's a great worker, mm-hmm. and he's meticulous in his approach at understanding the game. He's a football junkie. There's always going to be room for that guy. Now he's going to have to overcome some things. He's going to have to have some pieces around him that let him have success long term. But we're still going to see that kid. Peyton Manning and Tom Brady are not disappearing. You know what I mean? That guy's mm-hmm. still going to have a place in high-level football. I just don't think it's going to be as as uh, frequent as it once was. Do you still see those? Do you, so you so you see both then? We like see when both. you're with, the, with, with with Elite Eleven. And I'm not saying like I mean obviously there are high school quarterbacks of all different kinds, but at the elite level, you still see both. Like you'll see. Like in the 2021 class, you'll see there'll be a Tom Brady out there for you that, yep. that's going off to college in the fall, and there'll be a Patrick Mahomes for you too. Yes, and what we've learned, and we've made our mistakes in Elite 11, me at the front end of a lot of those mistakes, is they can't play everywhere because most young coaches are morphing their X's and O's around the modern-day quarterback, so it's fit, right? Mm-hmm. You, you need to have the right fit. Um, there are colleges right now looking for that guy because that's their fit. That's how they see the game being played. The play designer, the coordinator, they're dialing up stuff right now in the lab that fits mm. Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. It doesn't fit Lamar Jackson. Right. Right. So, um, and not, not one way's better than the other. You just got to be committed to your fit and recruit the quarterback, develop the quarterback around your mind's eye because it always goes back to this synergistic relationship that every quarterback that's successful will tell you it's the play caller and me mm-hmm. we're married yeah i guess it, we're, it's not a dating relationship we're right. married and we better start thinking the same thoughts and we better start predicting seeing the world through the same lens when that happens that quarterback thrives so that coordinator play caller play designer better appreciate the type of quarterback he has for him otherwise you're not going to get the best out of either one of them so it's not like so basically it's the breakdown of like we all used to hear it like there were quarterbacks who were quote-unquote college right like this guy isn't an nfl quarterback like it's sort of the breakdown of that right like where it's like we want to cast a wider net so we're willing to go halfway and meet them and i know you and i have talked about that in the past but like 
I mean, did that exist with somebody like Mahomes maybe? Because, I mean, he wasn't a huge recruit coming out of high school. And even, like, coming into the NFL, like, there was a lot of doubt. You know what I mean? Like, like people remember, like, he was the 10th pick in the draft, but I mean, there are teams that had third-round grades on him, you know? So, so he's a unicorn. I think it's always really hard to go back and, and look at Patrick and use him as an example in this stuff. We can use Kirk Cousins. We can use mm-hmm. Lamar. We can use a lot of guys. Yeah. Patrick's a little bit of a unicorn. We saw him in Dallas – and he had a bunch of ex NFL guys because my staff has a ton of ex NFL guy, ex NFL guys, and Brian Stump, mm-hmm. who's seen every quarterback for the last twenty years. And we were in awe. We stopped what we were doing to watch this kid athletically. He right. was just physically a freak. He also, at the time, wanted to play professional baseball. Okay. So. It, there wasn't the, oh, this is the next great thing coming from the prep world. That's why I didn't go to USC or Alabama or whatever, because a lot of college recruiters also felt as if he was going to be a baseball player. Because of his dad or because he was saying it? <laughs> That's what he said. And he's a, really? he was an awesome baseball player. Like, I right. get it. It's guaranteed money. It's hundreds of millions opposed yep. to a few million if you're not going to be Patrick Mahomes, the football player. I get it. I've counseled kids. If you're a great, if you're a first round draft choice prospect or a, you know, group of five, low level power five quarterback, go play baseball. Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Um, But then I think another really interesting conversation comes up and I'm going to touch on this. If you want to get the long deal for answer, you can re-team me. (laughs) There is something magical about these kids that go and play in the air raid Uh that go and play in this college pass first um, system because they get tens of thousands of reps at being the quarterback. And the quarterback is more than just throwing the football. It's handling protections. It's looking at defense. It's throwing a ball over a guy, around a guy, before a guy can beat there. It's doing it in the locker room. It's doing it in the weight room. It's handling the issues that go on a team. But being the quarterback, when you're in the air raid, you get exponentially more reps at it because they don't worry about anything else. They throw the Mm -hmm. football. That's what they do. They're unapologetic about it. They line up the first day of spring ball to the last day before they lose their ball game because most of them do. And all they do is throw the football. Right. And that quarterback gets more reps at being the quarterback than anybody else. They don't have the crutch of the run game. A lot of these quarterbacks, listen, my quarterback has the crutch of the run game because I believe in running the rock. I believe that's how you win championships. But these coaches don't. So you're not yeah. looking at fronts. You're not looking at safety inserts for the run game. You're not looking at leverage, who's setting the edge, who's the force defender. You don't even have to go to a meeting. You don't have to know anything about the run game. You're throwing mm-hmm. a football. You're being the quarterback. And the Patrick Mahomes of the world all of a sudden go and get three, four years of this, and they're so far ahead of everybody else with the intuitive nature of playing the game you know, under center, in the shotgun, in the pocket, running around, off platform, to the left, to the right, falling away, sidearm, over the top, whatever it is. Then they go to the NFL, and if they get the chance that Patrick Mahomes had, that Jared Goff had for seven games, where they can sit now and learn all the stuff that they're behind on, they're still so far ahead of the actual throwing the football part that Mm -hmm. they have become successful. And it's become a really nice formula of a way to see a kid come out of college and be ready to play the position a little bit sooner. Which is funny because you heard the opposite 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. But the (laughs) opposite 10 years ago, the game was played in a scrum. Yeah. Um, 
they so much was demanded upon understanding a tight little amount of space. They didn't have all the freebie plays. So like I talked to Steve Young and pay, a lot of these older guys that are Hall of Famers are jealous of the modern day game because boundary to boundary, the quick screen game, the RPOs, the misdirect, yeah. like all the creativity. Let's put it free in statistics. Yeah, the creativity <laughs> yeah. bucket. Yeah. Um, it's so much more fun and more productive to play the quarterback position. The other thing is that, and I'll end after this, and then you can go another direction if you want to reteam me here, is it's okay to throw the ball more than you run it. Let's go back to yeah. Andy Reid in Philly. Mm -hmm. Everybody criticized him because he wasn't willing to run the football. Now he's praised for not running the football. Like the narrative has changed that it is – God, you're stupid not to throw it 65% of the time. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, that's true. Just seven, eight, nine years ago, we would get on ESPN. Me and Tom Jackson would get on primetime with Boom after the Sunday games, and all Tom was going to talk about was they weren't committed to run the ball. They didn't well, protect I, their defense. And that narrative, one of the great voices in the history of NFL TV, was going to criticize a coach for not running it more. Now that's the opposite. Now you have Dan Orlowski, you have Tim Hasselbeck, you have Matt Hasselbeck, you have Kurt Warner. All your major voices in the networks are quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. And they're going to say, you're dumb for not throwing more screens. You're dumb for not spitting it out to your fast guy in the slot on a one-on-one -on -one and make it isolation basketball. You're dumb for not taking more shots. At the end of the day, this thing should say 75 plays and 45 should be passes and 30 should be runs. So now the coaches don't have this political pressure um, the scrutiny of throwing it too much. So who benefits? The quarterback. Steve Young right. would sit there and I'd watch Monday Night Football with him. He's like, are you kidding me? What is that, Trent? <laughs> and I'd have to teach him like this new concept. He's like, oh, we would have handed it off to Roger there. Yeah. You know, and they were a throwing team, right. but they were 55-45. And now if you're, if you're not 65-35, you're missing the boat. So what you're talking about then is just applicable experience, right? Because like 10 years ago, the experience they were getting in the air raid wasn't applicable experience. Now yes. it is, yes. right? Like that's all that's all you're talking about, right? Because yeah. like 10 years ago, it's like, okay, I can do all these things, but an NFL coach is going to try to put me in a box. So I've got to kind of like, I don't know. Like I, I keep thinking of like, how like when I was growing up, it was like the run and shoot was new, and you had the 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 Oilers and the Falcons, I believe, with Jeff George for a bunch of years. Jerry Glanville was big on it, like, and I remember like all that, like, and maybe like seeing some of those things in the college level. Now, you know, you're you're pushing it to the pro level, where you know guys were playing these sorts of offenses ten and fifteen years ago, and there wasn't a home for them in the NFL quite as much because the experience that they were getting in college wasn't applicable to the NFL where, where now it is. No doubt. And I'll get, and that's absolutely correct, but I'll go one step further. Here's the other th yeah. thing from the quarterback's perspective. Our heroes in mm -hmm. my era, Elway, Marino, Moon, Kelly, Favre, uh, Kenny O'Brien, I can go whatever, whoever your guy was in the 80s, right? 80s, yeah. early 90s. We grow up wanting to be like them. Yeah. So Trent Dilfer loved John Elway, Troy Aikman, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, mm -hmm. Jim Kelly. Like that was my, yeah. those are my guys. Well, guess what? I got to go play in golf tournaments with them. Yeah. I got to go party with them. I got to go hang out with them. And they were great, incredible football players that worked hard at their position, but they got after it too. 
Yeah. They took time off. They didn't throw a football when the football season ended. They didn't pick up a ball until March. Yeah. They weren't in the office till 10 o'clock at night studying film. Mm-hmm. So my, when I looked at that, I said, oh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be just like them. Yeah. And it wasn't until, and I stunk doing it. Then this generation came in. It kind of started with Peyton. I'll give Peyton yep. the majority of this credit. Tom was probably second. Yeah. Um, studying the game and being a coach on the field and having more answers than anybody else and staying till 10 o'clock at night and in the offseason getting with the quarterback trainer and never relenting. It was a 365 job. Yep. That became cool. Well, when that became cool, I started doing it. Oh, guess what? I got better. I started yeah. learning stuff, right? <laughs> right? Matt Hasselbeck comes from Favre, gets with me in Seattle, goes, oh, this is cool. He plays better. And this right. goes on and on around the league. Well, these guys have grown up with watching Tom Brady on Prime Video and Jared Goff's study habits and Peyton Manning, Manning's place and Elite 11 and the endless exposure to the highest level of the expectation of the quarterback and they're all quarterback dorks in a good way. And right. that's why they're more successful early. The offenses are more transferable, but yep. also their paradigm for what it means to be the quarterback and has changed. has changed. And Patrick Mahomes, going back to my first comment, instead of going and hanging out on his yacht that he could do, is studying ball in March. So you have like a combination of like Mahomes is like, so it's like the example that others showed him, like that you need to study hard to make it work. And it's like sort of cool to study hard, right? Yeah. You have the physical ability, right? Like that's there. And then you have like the offensive ingenuity yep. that is allowing somebody who may be unconventional in the way he plays the position, like get the most out of his ability. So it's like almost like all these things coming together. It's the perfect storm of quarterback development. Yeah. Like everything has fallen in line, right? The NFL rules. You got to right. put the league in there, right? The league has made it easier. You don't get hit. And I'm not the get off my lawn guy. Wish I would have right. had it this way. I'm, everybody <laughs> that knows me knows I'm not that guy. Right. But it is exponentially easier to play the quarterback position now than it was for John Edward or Dan Marino or Troy Aikman or Steve Young or Brett Favre for right. this reason. It hurt. Every yeah. one of us would tell you, you were black and blue on a Monday morning, on a Tuesday. It took you till Wednesday before you were athletically ready to even practice. I'm mm-hmm. two, I was 240 pounds, um, 6'4". I lifted my tail off, and I was broken after every game because they not just hit you, they landed on you, they turned you, they purposely tried to cut the head off the snake and we were good with it. We didn't whine and cry about it. We yeah. knew that's what we signed up for. That's why we made more money than anybody else. Right. Like, well, that was part of the deal. Now, even the Brady's and the Manny, these guys will tell you it's so different. You can sit there and pat the ball and, oh, there's a guy around my legs. Well, he can't go up my legs. Like, right. oh, that guy's getting beat around the edge. All I got to do is really climb up a little bit. So there's it's less just, like floating around in your yes, head. There's yeah. less of this conflict danger. So you take right. that and then a note that Joey, the smartest person in the room just gave me. Think of it this way. The dumbest quarterback today, the dumbest yeah. is exponentially smarter in terms of XO than a quarterback yeah. 10 years ago. 
Which is crazy because that's 10 years. So we're talking, yeah. I mean, so yeah, that's nuts. What do you remember? Like, I want to ask you this while we, you know, while we're on that. What was Patrick Mahomes? I'm assuming 16, 17 years old when you saw him, right? Something like that. Skinnier version of this. He could throw the ball however you wanted. Like, he was just goofing. I remember my, so I didn't spend as much time with him that day. Uh, Craig Knoll did. Mm-hmm. Um, George Whitfield did. Uh, I think Roma was there that day watching them. Joey was there. I was on the other, I was running the whole thing. So I'm on the other side and all my vignette was in the far right corner and he's jumping up, throwing sidearm, like rip shots <laughs> yeah. across from like the 20 to the back of the end zone. And then he's going to his left and throwing back to his right. And then, you know, they're doing one of our drills and he's just kind of dancing around and making it look easy. And I'm just like, I remember calling Brian over, and I'm like, Brian, who is that? Is that that Mahomes kid? He's like, yeah, that kid's a freak. I mean, like, but he's going to play baseball. Right. So in, in our world, it was, uh, yeah, we know he's the most talented, but he's going to go play baseball. So Cliff was the genius for staying on it. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the Cliff for staying on that, and Cliff for – I mean, I don't know the stories. I'm sure there's stories I don't know, but um, how they were able to get him there – uh, and avoid the baseball thing. And then remember, they had a pretty good quarterback that was there already. And then Patrick yeah. plays like it's pretty phenomenal. I think it was like, was it, it was like Davis Webb and Baker Mayfield had been there. I mean, it was yep. just like, yeah, they had yeah. a nice line of them. Um, have you seen anybody like Patrick since? I'm just not, sort of wondering. Not since. I, the only thing that I always, when, when Patrick comes up, everybody says, oh, I've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. And I always go, uh, hold on one second. I saw it from the sidelines um, when he won three MVPs in a row, and I had to play against him every year up <laughs> at his place, and yeah. they had Reggie White and Leroy Butler and the other guys on this other side. Mm-hmm. Everything Patrick is doing, Brett did. Yeah. Um, except... Patrick has, for a gunslinger, has an enormous amount of discernment. Like, Brett would just let it rip. Yeah. When Gray, you know, pick a guy, let it fly. Right. When, when it was Gray, throw it hard as you can. <laughs> yeah. Patrick has, like, lizard eyes. Yeah. Like, he can see something from his left and something way over to his right and go, ah, nope, not going to do it. Going to mm-hmm. buy some time. And that's why I think his interception numbers are so much lower. And I think Andy's learned over time how to manage that too. Like if you look at them, their explosive plays aren't the St. Louis Rams deep crossing routes that they're Mm -hmm. having to throw over somebody. If that ball's a little too low, it's picked. If it's a little too high, it's picked. Like I think Andy's created this vertical game that's kind of safe too. Like yeah. you're not putting the ball at a ton of risk. Tons of well, do you games, think tons so of screens? Do you think like coach because Andy was with Brett for a lot of years? Do you think that helped Andy? You know what I mean? Like no in, in coaching Patrick. I think Alex Smith helped them both. Yeah, you want to give a guy credit that doesn't nearly get nearly he doesn't get nearly the credit he deserves for Andy and Patrick. Because I was with Alex then, and I'm concerned. So I kind of helped Alex develop his study habits. Mm-hmm. Then Alex gets Norv, who yeah. was aggressive, but also more balanced in his nature. And I remember when it, when Alex went to Kansas City and called me and said, oh, it's all the stuff you've been telling me about. 
Yeah. Like, it's all the cool stuff you studied at Brett. I'm like, yeah. And he yeah. goes, you got to be careful though. And this is Alex where he goes, I got to be careful not to get over enamored with the possibilities. Yeah. Cause Alex is about winning football games. Mm-hmm. So I guarantee you that year that Alex was playing and Patrick's watching and Patrick's going, well, I could have done this. I could have done that. I could have done this natural, right? If you're a better yeah. athlete, you're going to say that. Then he got to hear Alex say, well, here's my why. Yeah. Here's what I've learned over time that wins football games for you. And one day, Patrick, you're going to have all the talent in the world, way more mm-hmm. than I have, but you're also going to have this wisdom that I'm able, that I took from the people I was, I've been around. And then I'm applying, and when you combine the two of those things, watch out. And I thought, I bet you Andy had to call. Andy had to call plays for Alex, who has limitations. He's still a very good yeah. player, but limitations. But got to see the value in ball security and discernment and field position and critical decision-making. Combine that with a freak of nature, Patrick Mahomes, and I'm sure he's changed how he's coached the position as well. I mean, it's sort of like you're saying, like Alex maybe helped Patrick control the chaos. Like his game is a little chaotic and it helped yeah. him control the chaos in a way. Um, yeah, I give yeah, these I, nine minute answers and you sum them up. No, 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 no. I mean, like it's great though, like because it's interesting because <laughs> I heard so I've heard so many stories about that year too, like that, like how good it was. And you know, I remember, um, I think it was Matt Nagy, one of the guys that was there, told me this story about how Patrick just got a lot of it, like naturally too like he would take his receivers after practice right because he wanted to get reps because during the season he wasn't getting practice reps right but he would never take a a, a receiver who was actually playing it was always practice squad guys or somebody down the line special teamers whatever so he'd get his reps and the reason why he did it was those are alex's guys i'm not sending any mixed messages to the locker room i'm just getting my work in and like people, people there noticed it. Like he had this way about him. You know what I mean? Like, which I thought was so fascinating, probably in part because he's the kid of a pro athlete, like understands how it works, but it's just like that year. I mean, there are probably like, and I've heard some of them, but there are probably so many good stories from that year of what was coming, you know? Yeah. Oh, no doubt. I mean, and I think that's a locker room effect. He grew up around a locker room. His dad's pitching. He's been around big time. He's been around locker room dynamics. He's been around highly competitive situations. He had to deal with it when he was at Texas Tech and Davis and Baker were there. So he he had lived an advanced yeah. life before he ever uh, had to face those decisions. So I think that's part of it too. I do think there's a huge advantage when a kid is playing quarterback. So let's go more in the grassroots college recruiting stage here. If a kid has been exposed to the big time, mm-hmm. Big time is where you're at. So I'm not saying like he doesn't have to play in Texas 6A football, but he's been in a locker room. He's handled major dynamics, competitive dynamics on his basketball team, you know, on his football team, baseball team, whatever. He's played high-level travel ball. He's been in big seven-on-seven tournaments. He's been scrutinized by the local media. Like those kids are going to thrive earlier than a kid that has to learn. I was just talking to Jordan Palmer two days ago about Josh Allen. Jordan and I are catching up on a bunch of quarterback stuff. And he goes, you know, Trent, the amazing thing about Trevor Lawrence is that he is like a 30-year-old with what he's been through. (laughs) Yeah. He's been the best since he was 15 years old. He has gone through it all. Anything you went through in your career, your first eight years, he's been through it, and he's not even played in the NFL yet. And I agreed with that. He goes, what's super amazing about Josh Allen, he had none of it. None of that. He's had to learn all (laughs) put on the fly. All of it. I mean, literally Everything on the fly, and look how he's thriving. Sure. So 
you have an advantage if you have the big time early on, but it doesn't mean it's impossible not to grow very quick. If you okay, don't. last couple things then. What like I want to hit Brady too, but the Mahomes thing's so fascinating. Um, what's most impressive to you about what Brady's doing? Because um, we're like somebody asked me like the other day. I can't remember what it was, but somebody asked me today like the other day. What's more impressive? What Mahomes is doing at his age? Or what Brady's doing at his age? And I was just sort of like thought about it. I'm like. Mahomes is doing things we haven't seen at his age, but it's like more of an amplified version of what we've seen. You know, like Marino was really good when he was young. Brady was really good when he was young. So in Montana, like, so I think like with Mahomes, it's like an amplified version of what we've seen. Whereas with Brady, we've just never seen anything like this before. So having played the position, knowing the position, having seen other guys go through the aging process, having gone through the aging process yourself, What's most, <laughs> and I'm sorry, Trent. <laughs> Faster than most. <laughs> um, but for, to you, like watching Tom now, like what's most impressive when you when when you sit down and you watch the Bucks and you see what Tom's doing at 43, what's most impressive about having watched him get all the way here? Uh, number one, what he's been able to say no to in life to say yes to football. Yeah. I don't think you can undersell that. And it, it would take a middle-aged man listening right now that's hit the jackpot in wall street that you know has a net worth of 300 million dollars and instead of going doing all the fun things that he does in life he goes back and grinds out trades from five in the morning till four in the afternoon seven days a week right that's what tom's doing to stay at this level which gets to the second thing which is his body um i go through these phases where i eat clean Right. Um, they never last more than three or four months. He's going on 10 years and clean to a level that is, I mean, if anybody's researched the TB 12 method, I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. The restraint he shows with what he puts in his body. Um, so I think both those things trump anything I say on the football field. The third thing was be how he's been able to change uh, his manipulation of the football. If there was a criticism of Tom Brady, even after he's won a few Super Bowls, it was always he threw, he's a one speed thrower. So he would only make decisions where he could throw the ball one speed. And he has developed into this incredible tempo passer where he layers the ball, he throws it earlier. He, you know, he just changes the speed on the ball to create more opportunities for completions. That's hard to do at an old age. Now, a young yeah. kid, we get these high school kids, we can change them in a day. Um, but you've done it one way for so many years. And you've been so successful doing it, and now you're going to change. A lot of that goes into his approach in the offseason. He works with Tom House forever. They're mm-hmm. meticulous about what they go look at biomechanically. And because he's gotten better year in and year out biomechanically, he can manipulate the football better. Okay, so – Last thing on these two then would be let like since you work with these kids, these high school kids, say you got that and I don't know who who that would be this year or whatever, but let's say you have the number one high school quarterback in the country who has a legit shot of making it to the NFL. Nothing sure nothing for sure at that age, but, yeah, has but a legit we know. shot. Like we knew Trevor and right. Justin and right. we know. So say you're sitting down with that eighteen year old and he says, Trent, what should I be looking at with these two on Sunday? What would you tell him? Well, I would say everything. <laughs> Because <laughs> um, it all yeah. matters. Um, command. Yeah. I, if I just give them one word, be command. You have to command your mind, your emotions, and the football. 
Mm-hmm. And when you command your mind and your emotions, you naturally command your team. So that's the byproduct of those two. So when you have total command of yourself, um, everybody else follows because you're the calming effect. You're the you're the thermo, you're the uh, I'll tell you, you're the thermostat. Have I used this mm-hmm. one with you before? There's thermometer yeah. leaders and thermostat leaders. Some react to the temperature of the room. Some change the room. Well, when you have command of your emotions and uh, your thoughts, your mind, you naturally crank the thermostat up to 80 and everybody goes, oh, I feel warm. Yeah. Right. Because he's good. I'm good. So that's number one. Neither of them are going to flinch when they throw an interception early in the game or they get sacked or something bad happens. They might slam their helmet down and they've mm-hmm. reset and they moved on. So commands number one. Command of the ball. Like I go to all these seven on seven tournaments and these guys, you know, they think it's a you need two pitches and that's going to get you somewhere. These guys have nine pitches, right? These guys can change the speed, the trajectory, the arc, the timing of the ball in a fraction of a second. You have to here is the easiest way to explain it. You have to have a giant throw catalog, Mm -hmm. giant throw vocabulary. So I can't only know four big words, which is all Trent Dilfer really knows. I got to know 44 (laughs) big words, right? It's the same with throws. I can't just have four throws I feel comfortable with. I got to have 44 throws I feel comfortable with. Okay. Uh, That's a good answer. That's really interesting. Um, All right. So I want to wrap up with you. Uh, because your name kind of popped up again when the Dolphins hired Charlie Fry, and uh, you know, obviously there's the connection there, and um, with with Elite Eleven and Tua, uh, this is a complex offseason, I feel like for Tua because he is dealing with new coaching. Obviously, they announced their their new co OCs today. It's going to be Eric Studisville and um, and uh, and George Godsey, and. There's some questions over what the Dolphins are going to do with the third overall pick. Now, I think he handled it great. Like, I heard him talk the other day about how, um, you know, I have to keep earning my job, right? But obviously, the Dolphins is going to come up. You know, it's a pretty good quarterback year. Guys like Zach Wilson and Justin Fields are going to be available. So, where do Trey you Lance. think? Don't sleep Trey on Lance. Trey Lance. Trey Lance. Everybody's <laughs> sleeping on Trey Lance. Don't sleep on Trey Lance. <laughs> Trey Lance. Yep. Okay. So, if you're like, can you give us an update on where you think Tua is going into year two? Yeah, and I'm obviously biased. I've known yeah. him forever. We have a great relationship. I'm biased because Charlie, we've mentored Charlie forever. Started in 2005 when he was my backup, and he'll mm-hmm. tell you the story better than I can. So Charlie's very close to my heart. I'm very happy um, that the two of them are together. Um, I could not place a better coach into his life than Charlie. Okay. Um, for a bunch of reasons that nobody cares about. But if Trent Dilfer were to choose to a to his coach would be Charlie Fry. So that's how high I feel on that relation, how good I feel about that relationship. Um, I actually think Tua played pretty good considering the, the plays that were called. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you have to put it in context of all the stuff we talked about, I don't know, 22 minutes ago about offenses and creativity and the art, art the artistry of play calling. Um, they were very simplistic in what they did. They were yeah. very reserved in what they did. They also don't have great skill people, okay? Mm-hmm. So they have a lot of work to do on the perimeter. Devontae Parker is a good, solid, big-body receiver, but he lacks that modern-day twitch and beep-beep, mm-hmm. right? So they got to find a space guy, a guy that creates space with his athleticism uh, and his range. Um I think Tua will handle the job of the offseason very well. 
He is naturally, his humility is his greatest strength. So he will handle all that well. I actually would push him, and I think Charlie will, to being a little more assertive. I think he needs to be a little more bold. There's not a throw in the world to a can't make. Go mm-hmm. make them this offseason. Show off. I've told my girls this. So I have three volleyball players. Obviously, I think you know this. All Division One mm-hmm. athletes. And when they get into a funk and they ask, Dad, can you put on your coach hat? I go, yeah, it's no problem. What do I need to do? Go show off. What? Yeah. We're humble. We don't want to do that. No, no, no. Go use practice as an opportunity to show that you're the biggest, baddest dude on the court. Try right. some cool stuff that other setters have never even thought of trying. Mm-hmm. Right? Go use that as an opportunity to elevate yourself, your game above everybody else's. Because what you'll get is everybody's confidence will grow in you. You'll get the ooh, ah, and you'll get the oh, she's the dude. Like, don't mm-hmm. mess with her. She's the dude. Yeah. That's what I would tell Tua. You have an off season now, hopefully. Hopefully, we get a real off season where you can go show these cats that didn't get to see you last offseason, all they saw was your Alabama film, and they all watched all these horrible narratives that went around with them, by the way, which were all wrong, that he was never going to play football again, that his hip was career-ending, that he's injury-prone, like all this crap that was talked about for so long. And you all know who you were saying, and you all know who your sources were, and you're all wrong. (laughs) Like, he gets to show his cats on his team. No, no, this is the Tua that had the walk-off as a freshman. This is mm-hmm. the Tua that everybody's saying tank for Tua. This is the Tua. Yeah, I'm a humble guy, and I'm a hell right, but watch out because I'm about yeah. to show you some stuff that you haven't seen in, in Miami since Dan Marino. And I think that's the approach that Tua has to take. But Charlie can't tell him to do that. Trent can't tell him to do that. He's got to do that. Right. That's interesting, too, because, like, it did seem like you saw that swagger in college, and maybe that was the one thing that was sort of missing. And maybe part of that is, hey, I'm throwing to Devontae Smith and Jerry Judy and Jalen Waddle, and yeah, but uh, so was and, Joe and, Burrow. And, you know, I, I get yeah, it. that's true. That no, I know like, what you're saying. I know what you're saying, but it's like, yeah. like there's like a little swagger with that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like no one's stopping us. You know, maybe that's what you're talking no about. No doubt. Having, and they right? got it. They got to develop that. And I and look at what Aaron's done. Okay, Aaron's a great example. Right. Devontae Adams is a really good player. Uh, right. Fresno State, he's a bulldog, so I love him. Yeah. yeah. He wasn't the best receiver in the league. He wasn't the top 30 receivers in the league until Aaron helped him become that. And then you look at Lazar, and you know, these other guys they have that right. were just prospects, and Aaron made them super successful. That's the power of the quarterback. Look who Peyton Manning made a king. Yeah. You know, Peyton Manning was the kingmaker of skill position guys. You right. go and play for Peyton, all of a sudden your numbers explode, yeah. right? Tua needs to take on that aura of you come here, baby, this is South Beach, this is Miami, this is how we roll. You come here and you catch balls, you score touchdowns, you're going to Pro Bowls. So you're saying the Dolphins should take Devontae Smith with the third pick Heck and yeah. not quarterback. <laughs> you, don't even, you don't even blink. Or Najee. You know, and that's the other thing, too. They yeah. need a bell cow. Najee is your modern-day complete back. I mean, I don't so, get into So the there you go. So, so, so Devontae Smith at three and Najee Harris at 18, then. Yeah. Or that works tra- for you? However, I don't get into the draft <laughs> stuff until around the draft. But, yeah, you can get two of his teammates. Heck, yeah. And, by the way, Absolutely. his teammates at Alabama – I mean, you talk about a loyal bunch now. Yeah. Nick is amazing. I think the best thing Nick does is he allows these guys to create bonds and team chemistry and a brotherhood. 
like they're all five stars. They all come in there. This the world's theirs, and they get there and they become so um, passionate about each other's success. Oh, we saw the recruit. I saw the recruiting pitch. I mean, that was pretty good. Like, I don't know if you saw the video that was floating around out there. Yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> it's, he's he's the master. He's yeah. absolutely the master. Yeah. All right. He's Trent Dilfer, head coach of Lipscomb. Did I get that right that Way time? Way to go, Lipscomb? Good job. All right, Lipscomb Academy and Elite 11. Always appreciate you coming out, Trent. Appreciate you, buddy. Okay, well, thanks to Trent. Always great having him on. We're going to jump into our fantasy and DFS segment, the last one of the 2020 season. And to do that, of course, as we always do, um, for our DraftKings segment, we're going to bring in our buddy, um, and the original author of the Stardom Sidem column from SI.com, Michael Fabiano. Fabs, what's happening? Busy week for you, my friends, huh? <laughs> yeah, I'd say bit. so. Yeah, it, it, and I don't think it's going to slow down anytime soon, man. Like I, This offseason, um, there's a potential. There's going to be quite a bit of movement there. Yeah. Uh, with salary cap going down and all the different changing circumstances, it's just going to be a wild offseason. Heck, it's already started. And, and the league year... Doesn't kick off for for a while yet. We've already got that big trade with Stafford, and it's going to be fun, man, both in reality and in fantasy. Absolutely. All right, well, let's start there. Um, Obviously, and we've talked about this for a few weeks now, but when you get to the playoffs, the dynamics change DFS Mm fantasy-wise. So just for our DraftKings segment, we're always going to start here. What do you got for the people as far as fantasy and DFS stuff for this week? Well, on SI.com, I have my Super Bowl rankings, obviously very short rankings uh, mm-hmm. for folks out there, and also put up my 55 fun fantasy facts from the Super Bowl. That'll be up this week as well. I'm also going to have my way too early 2021 fantasy player rankings on the <laughs> site. You're going to be able to find those towards the end of the week. In terms of DFS play, I guess the the bargains for the week, you could probably look at Scotty Miller at $3,400 on DraftKings. Tyler Johnson is only $1,200. If you want to go with um, a bit of a contrarian play because Leonard Fournette's been so good, but Ronald Jones is only $2,200. There's a few out there. Most of the folks out there, especially at the captain position here uh, in the showdown week, are, are going to go. You know, with Mahomes, who's going to cost you the most at $18,000. Kelsey at sixteen five, Tyreek at fifteen six, Tom Brady's at $15,000. So out of the top four, he would be the cheapest. Uh, but I can't remember outside of – and Fournette's played very well. Kansas City's defense has not been great against running backs this season. But there's not a lot to like at running back this week. <laughs> I, mean, not, yeah. I know it's only two teams, but, you know, Fournette – for most of the season was tough to gauge. It looks like he's the guy now in Tampa. So you probably feel a little bit safer about using him in DFS, but Ronald Jones was the guy more, more of the season. Uh, maybe Bruce Arians has kind of shifted. It seems that's happened in the postseason. And with Kansas city's backfield, ah, poof, good luck with that. one. <laughs> and dude, you're killing me too. Cause ah, God, I had such high hopes for Clyde Edwards. My first round pick. And I, yeah, but you I, know what, Albert, it, here, here's the thing. And people, are, are, are telling me, oh, man, he, you know, he was a dud. In the first six games, he was the RB11. He was on pace for 1,800 scrimmage yards. He was yeah. really doing well. And then I don't know why the Chiefs went out and signed Le'Veon Bell. That blew everything up. 
He was averaging over 21 touches a game before they signed Bell. Yeah. He was averaging right around 14 to 15 points per game. That's good. Yep. And then they, they brought Bell and they wrecked it. I don't know why they did that. They didn't need him. I yeah. mean, he, it's not like he played a ton and made a huge impact. He didn't. And yeah. when he came in, the numbers went down to about 12 touches a game. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, Clyde edwards Zolaire was an RB2 at best. So while I get it, there's a little stink on him because overall he wasn't great. Depending on what Kansas City does in the offseason, I mean, I could see You're him. still putting him in that first round, I, huh? No, no, not in the first round. Not in the first round. Uh, he, he's gotten pushed out of there. But around the turn of the second and third round, I could see I could see that's where he'll be. I got you, which is much lower than I took him as a rookie. It is, and but I'll tell you what I'm I'll tell you what I'm guilty of, Fabs, and I'll 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 readily admit this. Every year I'm so guilty of like overvaluing rookies. And I get excited and it's like I can't wait to see what the guy's looking gonna look like. And it's almost like I wanna be invested in like like the new thing. You know what I mean? Like and I always make that mistake. It's a big, big, big like blind spot for me. But this past season though, yeah, if you did that in, in many other instances, you you did well. Justin Jefferson, yeah. Jonathan Taylor, although it, it was tough in the first half of the season. Just had to yeah. ride that out, yeah. DeAndre Swift had his moments. Justin Herbert was ridiculous. CeeDee yep. Lamb was CeeDee Lamb was on pace to basically post the same numbers Justin Jefferson did post when Dak was the quarterback. T. Higgins is going to be awesome for a long time in Cincinnati. I love T. Higgins yep. next season. Jerry Judy's got a season of experience under his belt. I don't know who the yep. quarterback in Denver is going to be. It looks like maybe it's going to continue to be Drew Locke. A lot of young talent. We got a lot of young talent coming out too. I know. I was. I was just gonna say, man. Like it's gonna be fun to talk about Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson and Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith and Rashad Bateman and Jalen Waddle and, and and Najee Harris. I mean, like Travis Etienne. At Travis Etienne, it's gonna be. I. I mm-hmm. this, there's a really really exciting group of rookies coming out it that is. I can't wait to talk about. Yep. Um, let's shift gears really quick. Prop bets that you like, because obviously that's a big part of the Super Bowl experience for a lot of people. Um, what's what, what's out there that kind of got your attention from a prop bet standpoint? Well, I'm going to give folks. We're, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks because the quarterbacks yep. are sort of the you know they're at the forefront here. You know, Tom yep. Brady versus Patrick Mahomes. So I'm going to give folks out there some stats, and then I'm going to let them make up their own minds. Mm-hmm. Tom Brady's played in nine Super Bowls, which is just every time I say it, it's bananas. <laughs> yeah, he's averaged 315 yards per game. Uh, in those Super Bowls. And his number is much lower than that uh, in terms of passing yards for this Super Bowl. He's had two touchdown passes on average per game in his nine Super Bowls. He's had two or fewer touchdown passes in six of nine of those games. He's had six interceptions in nine Super Bowls. He's averaged 43 and a half pass attempts in the Super Bowl. He's averaged 28.4 completions in his nine Super Bowls. The Chiefs this past season gave up an average of 246 yards passing and 1.8 touchdowns per game. I would think Brady will be over two touchdowns in the, in this contest. It should be a high-scoring affair. Again, I, I think he will be over the passing yardage number, and I think he'd also be over the completions number. Now, when you look at Mahomes, he averaged 316 passing yards per game in 15 regular season games, and he basically was one of the most reliable quarterbacks in, in the national football league as it pertains to fantasy. We all know that three plus touchdown passes six times. And remember earlier in the season, these two teams hooked up 
Brady had three touchdown passes. Mahomes had three touchdown passes. Mahomes threw for a, a ton, almost 500 yards in that game. So we should expect a, a pretty high scoring affair. And also keep in mind, folks, that game, that's the one Tyreek Hill went crazy in, in the first half and had one of the best single game fantasy performances among wide receivers in the history of the National Football League. He went crazy in that game. You remember that, Albert? Yep. All right. So I do want to tease your column too. your 55 mm-hmm. fantasy facts for the Super Bowl. So give us a give us a taste. I want everybody to click on it, too. But give everybody a taste of, of, of what they're going to get when they get to that column. Yeah, these columns and I have the 101 fun fantasy facts from this past season also uh, on SI.com. They're a lot of fun to read. They're a lot of fun to, to write as well. So uh, I'll give you a few here. Tom Brady has scored 20 plus fantasy points in four Super Bowls. That's the most in NFL history. Only four other players have done so more than twice. Jerry Rice, Joe Montana, Roger Craig, and Kurt Warner. Uh, each of those guys hit the 20 point mark three times. No player, of course, has scored more fantasy points than Brady. But here's here's a banana stat for you. All right. Jerry Rice has been to four Super Bowls. Jerry Rice is only 31 points behind Tom Brady. Now think about that. Tom Brady's been in nine Super Bowls. Rice has been in four. Tom Brady's a quarterback. And Jerry Rice is only 31 points behind him. Sir, think about that. Jerry, Jerry Rice, Rice, but people don't understand. Like I I on, I I think Jerry Rice, like, like I'm being honest with you when I say this. I don't think like people of this generation that didn't watch him play live have any clue how good nope. he was. Like I think people like look at him and they say, okay, well he's not like built like a Calvin Johnson. He's not freakish like a Randy Moss. So he must not be. Jerry Rice was the like. You take the quarterbacks out of it. The best football player I've ever seen. Like yeah, he was. He was unreal. Yeah, he, and he, he was averaged. Just, he averaged thirty five point four fantasy points. Right. In he was. That's that's court. That's elite quarterback numbers that you don't get very often on a weekly basis. And I mean, the game he played in Super Bowl 23, the game he played in Super Bowl 24, the game he played in Super Bowl 29, Mm -hmm. like he was dominant. (laughs) Like, yeah, in Super Bowl 23 at 215 yards MVP of the game. Yep, he's the only wide receiver to ever have. 200 receiving yards in the Super Bowl. And people don't remember because John Taylor caught the game when he touched down, but he was the dominant player in that game. That's right. And so funny stat. So since 2000, only one wide receiver has had more than 150 receiving yards in a single Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Do you know who that is? No. Danny Amendola. <laughs> is that right? He had 152 against the Eagles in Super Bowl 52. He's the only that. guy in the last 20 years to have 150... Jerry Rice would just. I would have guessed, like, unreal. I may have, well, no, Deion Branch had a lot of catches, but not yeah, yards. I, yeah, he had like 11 catches in, uh, right, in his. He MVP. was the MVP of a Super yep. Bowl. Was there another? I think Deion Branch is the only one to win MVP since then at that position, right? I'd have oh, to no, go Edelman back. Won it. Edelman won it. Edelman I'd have to go back it. and check. Yeah, Edelman also won it, uh, yeah. it, it one year. It, it's funny, too, because, I mean, the, the Patriots is just, it's kind of like not fair. Because yeah. they've been in in so many Super Bowls, right. but here's another little tidbit here, uh, and th- this one, you know, this one's kind of fun here. When you look at the Patriots, out of the top seven in terms of combined catches at mm-hmm. wide receiver in Super Bowls, like five of them are Patriots. That's right? yeah, yeah, like 
Deion Branch, you got Troy Brown is up there. Of course, you got Julian Edelman. Uh, you know, Amendola had Amendola had that that one huge game. It's crazy. It, it, the, and again, uh, Deion Branch it, again w- was an MVP. Wes Welker was also in that in the top seven. But the most catches in a single game by a wide receiver was Demarius Thomas. Really? You know that? Yeah, he had 13 catches. That's the most ever by Which a wide receiver. Which one was receiver. that? Was that it? That was it. Was that the one they won or lost? That was the one I believe that they won, but I have to go. I have to go. Okay, because that, that was like because if you remember, I would almost guess like the one they lost because they fell behind, but that team threw the ball all over the place. Whereas the yeah. second team that went, it was when Peyton Manning's arm was shot, <laughs> right? Like so. And speaking of Peyton Manning, uh, no winning quarterback in a Super Bowl has had fewer fantasy points than Peyton Manning had, and that was yep. against Carolina. That he makes had, sense. That he makes had sense. Three. Point six fantasy points. So it would have been the one that they lost where Demarius went off because Manning had a bru- I think he only threw for I want to say a hundred and I mean it was like almost like a, yeah, yeah I think he had like a hundred and forty one yards. Yeah. 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 So De- yeah, so Demarius uh, had thirteen for one eighteen and a touchdown. That was against Seattle. I feel really stupid, by the way, because I, we actually like, so I said, since Jerry Rice, like we're branching Edelman, the only two, we missed three receivers. We missed three receivers. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, wait, Can you now, guess now, any of them? Now I, now I have to think. Now I One of think. them's not really a receiver though. One of them didn't win it because of his ability as a receiver. Is that a clue enough for you? He didn't win it because of his ability as a receiver. Um, right. So. 90s. Wait. See, Antonio Holmes won it, didn't he? Yep, there's one. That's one, but that's not the one. Like, so that's one of the three. There's he another stealer also. He wasn't. Oh, 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 oh. Wait a minute. He's not, so Desmond Howard. Desmond Howard's, yeah. <laughs> there you go. So you got Desmond no, Howard. Thinking, like, if he's not a receiver, then what the hell else so is he? So Desmond Howard, yeah, he won it. He didn't win it because okay. he was he, like, I don't know if the guy, I don't know if Desmond Howard had a catch in that game, did he? I'd have to go back and look, but I know he had the I know he had the kick return for the touchdown. So. Right, yeah, the kick return for the touchdown. And then you said and then, Steelers. That that's, that's Heinz Ward. That's Heinz Ward. Because yeah. so those because are the Lynch three. Swan and John Stallworth, they they uh, that those were all I think those were all Bradshaw or did one of those guys win it? Who? Wait, what? The, Swan Lynch Swan won. Swan and Stallworth an MVP. won. It, I think didn't Stallworth he? Stallworth won one too. So Lynn Swan was the MVP of Super Bowl ten. Yes. Yeah, yes, no, it was Franco Harris and Lynn Swan won their first two, and then Bradshaw, and then Bradshaw, won the Bradshaw had two. two. Right, Bradshaw won the right. second two. So, so Stallworth never won one, but Swan did. Yep, that's, that's right. right. And I'm looking. I got the list up here now. Okay. Uh, we might have all of the receivers. Yeah, I think we have all the receivers accounted for. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's some like, of it's those not you that, forget. Like you're like, oh wow. Yeah. I'm do you remember? Do you remember the only player? That won the MVP on a losing team. Was that? It wasn't Randy White, was it? No. No, Randy White and Harvey Martin are the only they were the co MVPs. Yes. What, it was. Was it somebody on the Dolphins? No, it was the Cowboys. You had the right team. Had the right team. Mm-hmm. Who was it? Chuck Howley, Super Bowl five against that, Baltimore, the Blooper Bowl, sixteen wow, thirteen. Uh, Jim O'Brien, I believe, hit the hit the the, the game winning field goal. Chuck Holly, though, was the MVP. He's the only losing player to to win the MVP in the Super Bowl. You know what? I was also 
uh, looking at too. There's never been a tight end that's won it. I wonder if Kelsey might be the first this there weekend. You go. There no you tight go. end's ever won it. And how about this? So, so I did look this up. Desmond Howard did not have a catch in that Super Bowl. So there you go. So it's all as a return. Wow. Yeah, did not have a catch in that Super Bowl. Antonio Freeman was the one was the leading receiver in that game. I think he had a long touchdown in that game. But yeah, mm. Desmond Howard did not have a catch in that Super Bowl. So that's pretty amazing. That is. Um, that yeah. Is. yeah. Can, can and, you name Can you name the running back who scored the most fantasy points combined in Super Bowls? Emmett Smith. You would think it's okay, Roger. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, I just gave it to you. What would you say? If you didn't hear it, go ahead. Guess. I didn't hear it. Okay. Um, James White. No, but James White has the best single game performance. Okay. Based on fantasy points ever. So I'm in just a like Super thinking. Bowl. I'm thinking about ever. volume now. Hold on, I didn't hear it. Ever. So okay. I'll get. I'll take one more guess, and then you can tell me. Yeah. Um. Roger Craig. Boom. Okay. Eighty-five points. Wow. There you have it. There, 80, they, Twenty catches, yeah. four hundred ten scrimmage yards, and four touchdowns. And he was. He was. A super. Uh, he was like a fantasy football star before fantasy football was big. Absolutely, you know, yeah. For a thousand yeah. and a thousand, yeah. Uh, quick, oh, another so quick, quick. If one you want that's nuggets fun. like that, like yeah. great trivia yeah. for before the game and everything else, it's all there on on Fabs's column, fifty five uh, Super Bowl fantasy facts. Yep. Be sure to check it out. I could do this for the next hour. Dude, with me you. too. I, I was just stuff. gonna bring up Timmy <laughs> yeah. Smith. Yeah. Oh, Timmy Smith. Yes, that was the that was like one of the most out of nowhere. He had over yes. two hundred yards, I think. Right. He was, he's the only running back to have more than two hundred yards in a game. Yeah. And and they scored thirty five points in the second quarter of that game. They were down ten to nothing. I they, think. Right. They scored forty two unanswered. Right. They, they scored thirty five in the second quarter yes. alone. Yes. That's and right. It was the second straight year that happened to the Broncos because the Broncos went up on the Giants the year before too. Yep. And blew the lead against the Giants. And then the next time they went to the Super Bowl against the Niners. Was about as bad as a. I think. I think that was. Is that still the worst beatdown? That, that was fifty-five. It was like 10. Fifty-five. It fifty-five. Was terrible. It was. It was, it was like awful. An, you know what though? Like it was an incredible like display of might by mm. by by a dynasty. Just yeah. And it was like the. It, it turned out to be like sort of the last hurrah for the Montana Niners. It's and that just, was also that was during that era where just the NFC would just crush the AFC every single year. It seemed. Yep, that's right. That Absolutely. happened for a while, but yeah, Timmy Smith despite the fact that he played in one game is still tied for the sixth most combined rushing yards in a Super Bowl. I mean, can you imagine if that happened now? Like as much as we like microanalyze rosters and mm-hmm. like, I just, it's like, I can't imagine something like that happening now, at least like with Desmond Howard, like it was like an unlikely Super Bowl MVP, but he had an awesome year as a return man that year. Like there's, there was like, it wasn't like that was like, completely off the board. You could say, okay, well, if he has a couple of big returns, we can see it happening, you know? Like, so yeah. it wasn't like that crazy that Desmond Howard pulled that off. Anyway. Yeah. And, and back to the running backs quickly. I think the last running back to win the MVP was TD. It's been a long time since right? running backs won so an MVP. Hang on. I'll pull right? it up. I can't so, think of another running back that's won the MVP since Terrell. Yeah, I, uh, I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yep, Terrell Davis is the last one, and I think I feel like it was. Yeah, it was pretty normal. Well, maybe not really. Like OJ Wait. Anderson, Emmett Smith, Emmett, um, Emmett won it. John Riggins won it. Marcus Allen won it. Um, so there are a fair amount of running back. Franco Harris won it. Larry Zonka won it. Yep. So yeah, I mean, there's a. I mean, Marcus probably, Allen also won it. I would say it? yeah. I would say running backs probably the second most frequent position but the fact that the fact that no one's wanted a position since terrell is 
I mean, that's a sign of where football's gone, probably yes. as much as anything else. It doesn't matter. Right. It's going to be the quarterback yeah. no matter what. It may have been Damian Williams right. last year, but they went with Mahomes. Absolutely. All right. We're going to wrap it up with our picks. And I teased this off the top. I, I wanted to save it for you, Fabs. I need to be consistent with my pick. Mm-hmm. All right. But we, we promised we're going to do double or nothing here. So yep. what I'm going to do to kind of build the drama here a little bit, I'm going to let you pick the game. And then ah. I'm going to have the other team, okay? And then I'm going to give you my SI.com pick. So okay. there's a pick that's going to be on the website. It won't be consistent with this pick necessarily mm-hmm. because I'm letting Fabs take the team he wants to take here. And then I'll take the other team. And it's double or nothing, right? So the two cases of beer come my way or nothing. Mm-hmm. And then I'll tell you who I picked on the website. So go ahead, Fabs. Your pick for Super Bowl 55. I... And rooting for Tampa Bay, I'm picking Kansas City. Okay. I I thought I would have been picking the Bucks because I was thinking you were going to make the pick and you were going to take the Chiefs. Yeah. So I'm giving this. I'm, I'm, I I like look. I, I feel like it's a fair way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I um. So I, I've got the Bucks for the purposes of this podcast. I've got the Bucks mm-hmm. on paper, just so everybody knows. I'm not being inconsistent here. Playing both sides. I did pick the Chiefs too. I have them 30 to 28. The reason why, Fabs, and you can give you a reason why too. I think the Chiefs are capable of playing a bad game and winning. And I don't can't I can't say the same about the Bucs. And to me, like that can be the difference in such a high stakes environment. Mm -hmm. And I think like seeing the Chiefs do this over and over and over again. And we saw it in the playoffs last year against the Texans. They got like just as bad a start as you could possibly get out to, 24 to nothing, erased. Mm-hmm. Two weeks, three weeks later in the Super Bowl, the Niners. People forget this. The Niners outplayed them thoroughly for three and a half quarters, and then eight minutes of football. Patrick Mahomes erased the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, you can even see the difference between Chiefs with Mahomes and not with and without Mahomes the last two weeks of the AFC playoffs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. the reason I'm taking the Chiefs here is because I think if things get sideways, I. We we just like watching them on a consistent basis. I think was Mahomes twenty five and one or twenty six and one in his last 20, 25, 26 or twenty seven starts. Right. Like, I just like I even if they come out and they're a little shaky, and he, like I just think that I, like I look at it like 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 they don't need to be perfect to win. Mm-hmm. I think the Bucks have to be really really good to win. Yeah, no, I, I would agree too, and that's why I would pick them uh, based on many of the points that you made there, and plus. I feel like, you know, Brady, Brady had three interceptions in the last game that we saw him. Green Bay could not take you advantage. Won't get away I think with Kansas that. City yeah. will take advantage of that. Yeah. I think Kansas City's got the the advantage on special teams as well. And the one the one spot where Tampa Bay, and if they succeed in this, they're gonna have they're gonna have a, a puncher's chance, is with Eric Fisher out, if they could put pressure on Mahomes, but Mahomes is such a mobile quarterback. I mean, he's not like Lamar, but he certainly can can escape pressure, get out of the pocket, and make make plays yeah. either with his, with his feet or with that ridiculous hand cannon he's got. And while I think we will have a close game, I think in the end, you you nailed it. Kansas City does not have to play a perfect game to win. Tampa Bay almost certainly does, and that means Brady's got to be perfect. There can't be any turnovers on on, on his side because Kansas City's defense mm-hmm. will make them pay Kansas City's offense will make them pay 
where Green Bay's did not in the NFC Championship game. So, and I'll give you one more, like just because I said this off the top. If the if the Bucks win, I would not be surprised if one of the two linebackers is the MVP. Oh Devin no, White totally or Levante agree. David, yep. mm-hmm. because most teams can't control Mahomes mm-hmm. on on scramble plays and in those sorts of situations. The buck the the Bucks are one of the few teams that have the speed at the second level, where if Mahomes breaks contain, gets outside into those sort of scramble situations, like the Bucks are equipped to make him pay for it. Yep. And so I think that that's another sort of key game within the game, all that. So Babs, thanks for everything this year. And you've been great like the last few weeks too, when I know it's been a little less conventional, but be sure to go and check out Babs's column too. Um, again, you can be like the trivia guy at your Super Bowl party. If you, if you go ahead and read Babs's column, you have a ton of really cool nuggets in there. Um, like I said, appreciate you coming out Fabs always. Hey man, uh, I enjoyed every single week of it and there is no off season, man. So whenever you need me, we're you know, jumping I'm in. Yeah, that's yeah, it. we're jumping in next week. So, all right. Thanks Fabs. You got it. All right. Thanks to Fabs. Thanks to Trent. Great way to wrap up the season with those two. We're going to get to your questions now, like we always do in the six pack. You guys know how this works. Every Tuesday, I put the call out for questions on Twitter. I pick six. If I pick yours, you get an answer here on the podcast and you get a like. I hit that little like button on the Twitter machine. And if I don't answer your question here, be sure to check out the mailbag. I might have answered it there. Question number one for Super Bowl week coming from Mike Durand. That's at Mikey D underscore 31. Will the Patriots spend high draft capital on a quarterback? Where do they go from here? Yeah, Mike, I think it's an interesting question. They weren't willing to go the extra mile for Matthew Stafford. Maybe they would for Deshaun Watson if he were to become available. I, at this point, think that's fairly um, unlikely that the Texans, even if Watson became available, that they would trade him to New England. And so what are you looking at? I think you're probably looking at right now, um, based on where the four quarterbacks who I think will go in the first round are going to be taken, and I think those guys will probably be gone in the top 10. Um, you know, I think you're probably looking at trying to find a long-term slash short-term stopgap. That's my guess, is that you're going to be looking at, you know, again, a J- Jimmy Garoppolo as a potential long-term, short-term stopgap. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean, I think it would be somebody like an Alex Smith in Kansas City. When Andy Reid got there in 2013, he traded for Alex Smith, wound up being the ideal guy and that you could compete with him on a year-to-year basis. You could feel good about where you were as a team. You could build up everything around him and you could choose you can sort of pick your spot going forward. So maybe that guy is Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe that guy is Derek Carr. Maybe that guy is Kirk Cousins. I, I don't know who it'll be, but I think that right now that's sort of where the Patriots options are. And my guess would be like what you're going to be looking at going into this year might be some sort of stopgap along those lines. A guy you can p- compete with, but isn't necessarily your answer for the next 10 years. Question number two from Danny. That's at bet the over 85. Niners appear to be a complete team with healthy minus maybe quarterback. Any idea if they would take a similar approach to getting a QB to win now? Danny, that's an interesting question. And I think the answer could be yes. Like I look at this a little differently than the Patriots. And the Patriots have a way to go on building their roster. The Niners don't. The Niners, like you said, they're right there. And so would it surprise me if Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch huddled and decided they love Justin Fields, or they love Zach Wilson, or they love Trey Lance, and they're going to move up to get him. Yeah, I could see that happening. Is it possible that Deshaun Watson becomes available and the Niners are the team taking the big swing? I could see that too. So 
I absolutely believe that you would, you know, looking at the Niners and where they're at, like that this could be their time to take a big swing on a quarterback, particularly because they don't have a ton of holes in their roster. So they could sort of spend freely with their draft capital. And that sort of brings me back to Garoppolo. I think they're happy with Garoppolo. I don't think it's, you know, a team weakness. I, could they be better at that position? Sure. But I think they, they, it gives them having Garoppolo on the roster, especially the price they have, Matt, sort of puts them in a position of strength where they can go take a swing on a big court on, 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 a, on a quarterback if they want to, but they don't have to. Like I said, that's a really, really good position to be in. Question number three, this from Louie. It's at Louie underscore rock. Will the draft be virtual again this year? Will OTAs and mini camps be on the field or in a Zoom classroom? I think a lot of that um, is going to boil down to what a lot of things have boiled down to over the last year for the NFL. How are things going in the country? What does the country look like in April and May and June? Are we all vaccinated? Have we achieved herd immunity? I don't have the answers to those questions. And so I, I think there's a likelihood that the draft will be virtual again. Um, I know they're determined to make it happen in Cleveland. So I think some of it will be in Cleveland, but I think, you know, you could be looking at a lot of things being done virtually. I, I don't think OTAs and mini camps are going to be the same. Um, they, there may be some modified version of it, but I don't think that there's much of a chance that we're going to have a regular 11 week OTA slash mini camp after the season that everybody went through. And I don't think the union is going to sign off on it. So, uh, my guess would be that the, the OTAs and mini camps, they may not disappear completely, but I think they'll be cut way down and modified in a really serious way. Question number four is from Patrick Riley at Pat Riley, 1991. Broncos chances of landing Watson slash Rogers or a top tier QB in the draft. Patrick, I think they'll, well, I don't think Rogers is going to be available this off season. I think Watson could be available this off season. I don't know if the Broncos would be the team to take a swing like that. So I think the most likely scenario of the ones that you laid out would be the Broncos draft a quarterback. Do I think they're you know out on Drew Locke? No, not necessarily. But they do have a new general manager there and George Payton, and they do have the ninth pick in the draft. And so you know the opportunity to be drafting in a position where you either could take a quarterback where you're at, or maybe trade up for a quarterback. You don't want to be there very often. So I, I certainly think they're going to take a serious look at the quarterbacks on the board and whether or not Justin Fields gets there, Trey Lance gets there, Zach Wilson gets there. We know Trevor Lawrence isn't getting there. Um, you know, I think that they got to look at those guys and put them on up on the screen and compare them side by side with, with, with Drew Locke and compare what they have versus what they could have. I absolutely think they'll be doing all the vetting on the quarterbacks that are coming out. Question number five from Brad Dugan underscore 87. That's Brad Dugan 87. One, what are the chances of the Panthers landing Deshaun Watson? I feel like I'm going to get a lot of these questions. Number two, or their chances of drafting a quarterback in the first round, whether it be a trade up or trade back. One, if Deshaun Watson became available, I think the Panthers would be one of the leading suitors for him, just like they were one of the leading suitors, if not the leading suitor, or I guess first runner-up for Matthew Stafford. So yes, I believe that they'd be in, um, and I think they would give up a lot to get Deshaun Watson if he became available. Number two, I think they're in play for a quarterback in the first round also. So I think they're very much going to be looking at that, and whether you know it's Justin Fields, Trey Lance, whoever it winds up being, um, I could certainly see them taking a quarterback with the eighth overall pick. Question number six. This is the last question for this week. How furious are other owners going to be at Cal McNair if Watson manages to get his way out of Houston? Would set a new precedent. Beto, this is from Beto. That's at all Brett 44. Beto, this is a great point that you make here. I'm going to be interested to see 
if through the grapevine, grapevine, we hear that maybe there was pressure from other owners not to acquiesce. We've seen this before. I, if you want to go all the way back to you know when I was a kid in the 90s, the institution of the franchise tag, it actually happened because the Broncos were worried about John Elway leaving. And so Pat Bowen was the one who sort of stood up and wanted a mechanism to try and make sure that you wouldn't lose a star quarterback. And so this has been part of the owner's ethos for a long time, being able to kind of control the movement of quarterbacks across the league. I would, I do not, I would not put it past the body of NFL owners, the, 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 the body of the 31 owners and the Packers. If there was pushback against the Texans, do not back down, do not give in. That would not surprise me at all. Not saying it's right, but it wouldn't surprise me at all if that were to happen. Appreciate you guys coming out always. It's been a great season, and I can't wait to wrap it up on Sunday with the Super Bowl. We may have a bonus podcast coming for you. I want to alert you guys to that later in the week. But if we don't, thank you for everything through the 2020 season. We're going to have a wrap-up podcast next week, of course, and then we're going to have the off-season podcasts as we go. So you don't need to worry about the schedule getting scaled down or anything else. We've got an exciting off-season ahead of us. And I'm going to be there to cover all of it for you guys. And I want your feedback, anything we can adjust. This is actually a time when it's good to do it because we are going into the offseason. So please get me your feedback. Um, You can get me on all my social media channels, at Albert Breer on Twitter, at Albert R. Breer on Facebook, at Albert underscore Breer on Instagram, or, and this is very helpful if you do this, leave a rating and review on iTunes. That way... It helps us become more visible to everybody else and grow our audience. And always listen to all of the MMQB podcasts because I feel like we do a pretty good job. Um, the MMQB podcast feeds got Gary's Monday Morning Podcast and the Gambling Podcast. Of course, Jenny and Connor have the Weak Side Podcast. And you guys know this show. If you're listening this deep into the show, it's the Albert Breer Show. You can find us and the other two podcast feeds. We're on three separate feeds now on Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, wherever you guys get your shows, we are there. Enjoy the Super Bowl, everybody. Same time next week, we'll be wrapping it up and putting a bow on the 2020 NFL season.